Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of I Know Why the Nick Caged Bird Sings. The podcast where we watch every Nicolas Cage movie in chronological order so that you don't have to. My name is Steve. I am your host. Joining me, as always, is my lovely co-host, the wacky, the zany, Hannah Martin. Hannah, whoa, whoa hey. Whoa, so wacky. <laughs> so relatable. <laughs> We're so relatable. We're just quirky. We're just two quirky individuals. You know what I was thinking we should do? What? Is just rattle off all of our inside jokes right off the top of the bat <laughs> so that new listeners have no idea what we're talking about and feel that's, ostracized. I was going to say, that's a, that's <laughs> definitely a way to make people feel comfortable and inclusive. <laughs> Well, if you'd like to feel comfortable and inclusive, you can go watch the movie that we watched this week, which is the movie Adaptation Period. period. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 2002 movie that gave Nicolas Cage his second and to this date his last Academy Award nomination for Best Acting. And honestly, I really love this movie. In short, it's about brothers Charlie and Donald Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman is the writer of Being John Malkovich. And this movie is about them trying to adapt a, adapt a book called The Orchid Thief, which uh, is written by an author portrayed by Meryl Streep. So Meryl Streep is in this movie as well. That's usually Love a good her. sign. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she was great. Yeah. Always. So before we jump into the movie Nick Cage scene by Nick Cage scene, as we love to do. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hannah just cracked her neck to get ready. And then she went, ooh. It was louder than expected. I'm getting, I'm getting older. The old bones. You got those old bones. <laughs> but Hannah's going to get us started with the ratings, the rankings, and the behind-the-scenes information about the movie adaptation. A lot of interesting behind-the-scenes, but we'll start with the ratings and rankings. So this movie has, like we said, 2002. This movie has a 7.10 out of 10 on IMDb and a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the highest we've seen in a while. Yeah. Did you say a 7.10 out of 10? 7.7. Oh, okay. I might have to listen back to that <laughs> and cut something out. I meant 7.7. <laughs> I may have misheard you. Anyway, what was that Rotten Tomato score again? A 91. 91 is really high. Yeah, I don't think that it's the highest we've seen so it's far. It's not, but it's the yeah. highest we've seen in a while. Absolutely. We saw some real stinkers mm, recently. Mm-hmm. It comes in waves. comes and goes. Definitely. But that also is due to the periods of his um, cinematic career, which we've... Mm. We, we've named the the past stage was the the dark ages right? i think yeah it wasn't the dark ages or the or the uh hmm. well we was were in the, the stone cage? cage the stone cage and then we were in the golden, the golden cage. cage i don't yeah. think we're in the dark cage yet well this because is, this movie's like middle period yeah in catholicism there's a term called ordinary time this could just be ordinary time okay <laughs> all right i could see that perfect so anyhow, what have you got for behind the scenes? So this movie, where do we even begin? <laughs> I'll start with nominations and just get those out of the way. Okay, perfect. So as Steve mentioned earlier, Nick Cage was nominated for the uh, Academy Award for Best Actor. He lost to Adrian Brody, the mm. pianist, came out that year. Gotcha. And the pianist, I believe, won Best Picture. Mm, okay. Um, or at least it won Best screenplay which charlie kaufman was nominated for Oh, okay so yeah. this movie is very meta so nick cage plays charlie kaufman and his twin brother donald kaufman mm -hmm. and charlie kaufman wrote the screenplay for this movie 
and also wrote the screenplay for Being John Malkovich, which is mentioned in the movie. Yes. Um, he also, I've never seen Being John Malkovich. I'd really like to, but I I um, found out that he also wrote Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which ah. I, I have seen that. Okay. Very good movie. Good. Glad you liked it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so like I said, Nick nominated, um, Meryl Streep was nominated for Best Actress. Well deserved. Did not win. Nah. It's fine. She's won like 20 times. Yeah. Um, and then the only win that came from this was Chris Cooper, who plays Meryl Streep's love interest, I guess you could say, which is a bit of a tease. For yeah, the movie. yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a spoiler, but yeah, that's, that's accurate, I mm-hmm. would say. So he won. Um, I remember this year of the Academy Awards because I like musical theater now, but as a child, I was very into musical theater. Mm-hmm. And the movie, sh- the uh, movie adaptation of the musical Chicago came out that year. Oh. So, um, Catherine Zeta-Jones won Best Actress. Okay, I knew it won a bunch. Of, I knew it won a bunch of. So awards. when I was like going through, I was like, okay, I remember. Oh, I definitely watched it this year just because of Chicago. Fair enough. Even though you were very young, <laughs> I wasn't that young? Oh my god, you were an infant. <laughs> oh yeah, right, all right. <laughs> so. I mentioned earlier this movie is very meta. The weirdest thing about this movie is that Charlie Kaufman made up a twin brother. He doesn't have a twin brother? He does not have a twin brother. <laughs> and yet, this movie is billed, at the, at the beginning it says, written by Charlie and Donald Kaufman. Yeah. The movie says, in loving memory of Donald Kaufman. Yeah. Not real. He never existed. <laughs> okay. He just made him up. Um, that makes me like this movie better. Really interesting. And then his uh, his Academy Award that he was nominated for was with Donald Kaufman. Who doesn't exist. Who doesn't exist. That's and amazing. And the Academy told him that if he wins, that he only can get one like trophy. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going to give him two for his fictional brother. That's amazing. I, I kind of wish he won. <laughs> right. So that he could make a stink and try to get two of them. So, yeah, really interesting. And... I read an a, uh, interview that Roger Ebert, who yeah. is a, an acclaimed critic, mm-hmm. um, it, also this is one of his favorite movies. Oh, really? This okay. is, I think, the first movie that he's actually liked of Nick Cage. Yeah, even the movies that are actually good, Roger Ebert doesn't typically like. Like, I don't think he likes. I Raising think he has Arizona. pretty divisive opinions. Yeah, but he loves this movie. Um, another person who loved this screenplay was Meryl Streep. She said it's her favorite screenplay she's ever read. Wow. So I read this interview that was between the real Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jones, who I didn't mention this yet, is the mm-hmm. director. Okay. And Nicolas Cage, one Nicolas Cage. <laughs> As opposed to two Nicolas Cages. Well, he plays <laughs> twins. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. So Roger Ebert opens the interview with a casual question for Charlie Kaufman. And he says, and I'm going to read this because I, you, I, you'll understand why in a second. Okay. He says, do you really have a twin brother named Donald? The three men, meaning Cage, Jones, and Kaufman, jerk visibly. This is obviously the wrong question, I asked. Kaufman looks at Cage, Cage, Cage looks at Jones, and Jones answers, I did not understand what he said, but luckily I had a tape recorder, and so here were his exact words. Well, I just want to, that's the first question, that Donald question, which is something that we get a lot, and we don't want to, 
we're not trying to be deceptive about it or anything, you know, like make a trick out of it. But I guess in all earnestness, we wanted to try to leave it a part of the experience in the movie, you know, these characters, you know, certain aspects of the movie exist in the real world. And part of it's fiction and try to leave that open so that people can have an experience going and seeing the movie without necessarily having it all defined. And so I guess that's uh, sort of our concern in part about opening that can of worms. So it's the most like political answer I've ever heard. Excuse me, I've ever heard. He didn't answer the question. He didn't say, no, (laughs) Donald is not a real person. But it's we all know that Donald is made up. Right. Or he's just doing that typical no. like Hollywood thing where it's like, I want you to interpret the movie. I don't want to tell you what it means. Yeah. I think we've heard David Lynch say that a few times already. Fuck David Lynch. <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> Fuck David Lynch. Fuck David Lynch. Acclaimed director and screenwriter David Lynch. Fuck him. Fuck that guy. <laughs> All right. Some more information behind the scenes about this movie. So along with it being meta in that it's about Charlie Kaufman, it is also based upon Charlie Kaufman's real-life struggle to write a screenplay for the book The Orchid Thief. Mm -hmm. I kind of figured that was real. So he, in the movie, which we'll get to, Mm -hmm. Nick Cage as Charlie Kaufman tries to write it, and he writes like a million drafts, and then he ends up not even writing about the book he ends up writing about himself which is the most meta thing because that's exactly what the real life charlie kaufman did by writing adaptation Mm -hmm. so meryl street plays the real a real life person the author of the book the orca thief who actually is a reporter for the new yorker yes new yorker columnist i guess you could say Mm -hmm. um named susan orlean And the real-life Susan Orlean, at first, did not approve of the way that she was being depicted in this movie. Yeah, there's reasons for that. We we can get into that. We will. Um, She loved that Meryl Streep was going to play her, which, like, same. (laughs) Right. Meryl, if you're out there, (laughs) you can play future me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so real-life Susan Orlean didn't approve of the way that they were portraying her. Loved the fact that Meryl was playing her, but... Um, the producer of the movie reminded Susan that the way that Charlie is portraying himself is not always the most attractive either. Definitely not. So that made her feel a little bit better and put her on board. And it's a, they deleted the scene, but apparently the real life Susan Orlean was going to be in the movie in a mm. scene with Nicolas Cage, like at a grocery store or something. Oh, okay. Just in passing. Sure. So first I will mention that Spike Jones at the time was married to Sofia Coppola. Oh, really? And who was Sofia Coppola? That's Nick Cage's cousin. cousin. Oh, Christ. So is that why he got the role? Well, Tom Hanks was offered the role at first. Wow. And I didn't really find out why he turned it down or why they gave it to Nick instead. But Nick only took $5 million to play the role. So I wonder if it was... Just because he was willing to take a pay cut. Meryl yeah. Streep took a huge pay cut to play this, too. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, I, did I mention the budget? I don't think so. I don't think so. Budget was $19 million and made 32.8. Wow, that seems low. That I it thought made 32.8. Pretty yeah. low budget, though. I, yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess well, they didn't quite make their money back if they did a big marketing push. Mm-mm. Hmm. That's a shame. This is a great yeah, movie. Really good movie. So. Nick Cage also wore a fat suit for this movie. Did he? He did. Oh, I was going to say. We were thinking he Mm -hmm. just 
finally let himself go for one of these movies. But no, I guess he really had to maintain that that bod. I guess so. For National Treasure, (laughs) which is coming up in two years. Oh, Christ. (laughs) This is a first. What do you got? So Nick Cage decided for this movie Mm -hmm. that he would ignore everything that he ever stands for. All of his own desires, his own persona, his own belief in nouveau shamanicism. Uh huh. What's happening? And he would just listen to Spike Jones direct him and do what he asked. Are you fucking kidding me? And guess what? Guess what? He had a he perfect a fucking, performance. He was he was incredible in this. Yeah. Because he just listened to a good director. God damn it! That <laughs> upsets me. <laughs> That's what you get. That's what happens. You get not apparently when you listen to your director. You have the opportunity to be nominated for a prestigious award. That's such bullshit. <laughs> that sucks. In contrast, yeah, <laughs> which probably pissed him off. Chris Cooper, who won the award, oh no, was allowed to be very eccentric because mm. he's usually not like that. Apparently, right. And this character is very eccentric, right. So he was allowed to do many, many different takes, trying different things, mm. more opportunities to do what nick likes to do instead of what yeah, nick ended up doing that probably pissed him off you're right <laughs> it did um nick was very frustrated filming this movie he refused to go on jay leno okay to talk about it because mm. it brought up too many bad memories i guess what he hated having to play two different people because he said it was too much work well i can i can certainly see that all right you think fucking Lindsay lohan from the parent trap complained this much I mean, although she's all screwed up now, so who knows? <laughs> maybe mean, this is proof. So is Nick, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are there any well-adjusted actors who have played two roles or, or twins That'll in one a, movie? A good question. I don't know. Let me think about it while you. He, keep going. Um, he said that um, Spike Jones really had to talk him off the edge a few times because he wanted to quit multiple times. He really was very frustrated, but it paid off. Like he was yeah. so good and. I don't say that a lot about him. When we get into more of the physical characteristics of his characters, we can talk through what the makeup was different for them, if anything was different, Mm. or what his acting made the difference for you. That made no sense. That was a brilliant sentence. Thank you. We've got the next Charlie Kaufman in our (laughs) recording studio right here. You wordsmith. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> linguist <laughs> sounds good we'll discuss the difference between the two leads which are essentially just one lead mm-hmm. as we go through the movie for sure i'll mention that um and then the last thing is not that interesting but it's just the last thing i have right here <laughs> i didn't save the best for last <laughs> this is the way hannah's segment ends not with a bang but with a fizzle <laughs> <laughs> um he has a nick cage has a brother mark coppola who we have not heard of yet. He's no. a writer for the New York Times, apparently. Oh, okay. He stood in as his body double. Oh, interesting. I wonder if it's because Mark Coppola is like bald and overweight, like Nick Cage's character in this movie. I mean, it's a wig and it's makeup. Yeah, I know. And it's a fat suit, <laughs> and apparently. A fat suit, yeah. But, you know, if you have a body double, you've got to. I've seen his other brother, Chris, who is bald and overweight. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) And he was on an episode of like Famous Cats or something. He's got a cat that rides his motorcycle with him. What? Oh. Yeah, remember that? That was a while ago. I forgot about that. Christ. Deadfall. (laughs) Oh, God. Deadfall was such a bad movie. 
I mean, fun, but bad. We talk about this like every week. Every week we mention it. Go back and listen to Deadpool, Deadfall if you haven't. <laughs> I almost said Deadpool. <laughs> Anything else? No, I told you that okay. was that was it. I was going to leave you with uh, some underwhelming fact. Wow. All right. Way to cap it off, Han. So proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> Linguist. Linguist. All right. So we are going to go through the movie Nick Cage scene by Nick Cage scene, my segment of the show. So feel free to tune out now. I'm kidding. Don't. Because this is a great movie. Actually, yeah. So can, I can tune out? Yeah, you can tune out, right, Han. Cool. I always See end ya. up talking to myself anyway. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Now, uh, this is honestly a great movie. So if you don't want it spoiled too much, we did kind of reveal a few things in the beginning already. But I would recommend watching this movie. Yeah. But I also will say that this podcast is probably not going to be as interesting as our podcast when we hate the movie. <laughs> That's true. They they do usually suffer in quality <laughs> when we like the movie versus when we hate the movie. So Agreed. I will try to just tear through this movie so that we can get to the awards and kind of talk about the next stages of our podcast. So, like, you know, what we're doing next and the awards and where are we ranking this movie? Oh, and... I thought you meant like where our podcast is going. Yeah, I want... In a more... Fi- where do you see yourself five in five years? years. <laughs> Hopefully not still doing this. God, Hopefully no. Nick Cage retires by then. I'm going to need like a nature retreat after this and just sit outside for a 24 hours. Oh, for sure. All day, every day. We need a mental health rest. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So let's do this movie real quick. The movie opens up with actually just a voiceover, which is kind of a big theme throughout the movie of Nick Cage. And he's doing that classic, oh my God, I'm Nick Cage. But it's, very uh he's kind of picking on himself i guess in a way he's like i'm so fat my hair's falling out and he's just kind of ranting about how he should try to better himself as the opening credits roll on a blank screen as charlie as charlie yes exactly so we then go to the set of being john malkovich and we see him briefly and then we see him we see an evolution of time if you remember that like it started with the big bang and like it went through the lizards and the grass and time lapses of some artsy bullshit honestly right i mean it's kind of explained later in the movie why that was there but then we cut back and we do see uh nick cage and as hannah mentioned he's bald he's fat he's always sweaty very nervous yeah always looking nervous especially in the next scene where we see he's with who i presume is a producer of some kind played by tilda Tilda swinton tilda swinton and so this is where she says, hey, we want you to write this. Like, sorry, this is like the first time I've not seen her in a role that she's <laughs> just like an odd bird. Right. Yeah. She's or looking weird, too. Right. Like she just looks very normal and acts very normal. It's like this and Trainwreck, kind of. Trainwreck, she plays Amy Schumer's boss. Whoa. Never would have pegged that. Nope. <laughs> It's another good movie, but we're not here like to talk about that. LeBron James is in that <laughs> Le- movie. That's true. LeBron he's James really is really funny movie. in that movie. So anyway, he's he's out, and it kind of looks like a date with Tilda Swinton, and he's sweating profusely. And this is where she says, we want you to write a screenplay based on the book The Orchid Thief. And essentially, The Orchid Thief is about this character, played by Chris Cooper, who won the Academy Award, who is the essential, the the primary, the paragon Florida man. He's missing teeth. He's got a mullet. He's always wearing dirty clothes. He's driving around in a van. I called him the Joe Exotic of horticulture. Oh, a beautiful analogy. Unfortunately, <laughs> Joe Exotic was not a thing in 2002. But you know who's going to play him in a, in a movie? Oh, 
Pratt. That's right. <laughs> Nick Cage is playing Joe Exotic in a movie. Or a series, I forget. Yeah. So the book itself, I think, was kind of not really well received by critics in the, in the world of the movie because there wasn't a ton of substance there. The, the book was very metaphorical. She'd go on several pages, Meryl Streep's character, uh, would go on several pages rants about metaphors and about flowers. But also the book is about, I mean, this character who, Chris Cooper, who... Obsesses over certain things exactly. at a time. Yeah, so he was obsessed with turtles. We all know somebody like that, yeah, where mm, they yeah. just have these very deep obsessions mm-hmm. and they fixate on one hobby for a period of time. And then they just move on to something else and they forget about the other thing. And then the next hobby is they're just as passionate about it as they were the first. Right. So he's called the Orchid Thief because there's this extremely rare orchid that he has to steal from preserved Florida land. And the only way he can steal that from preserved Florida land is if he gets the help of Native Americans who technically own the land and are allowed to do whatever they want in these Mm -hmm. Florida preserves. So that's why he's the thief. They won't be arrested for it. Yeah. And they won't be arrested. Exactly. We then see Nick Cage next, and he's he's after this meeting where he was all sweaty with Tilda Swinton, and he goes home, and this is where we discover, oh my god, he's playing twins. There's two of them. <laughs> so essentially, we'll try to discuss the difference between the twins, because there is a pretty clear difference between them. So Charlie is the main character, the writer that, that we're going to be talking about. When Basically, if I ever slip up and say, Nick Cage does this, you can assume that I mean Charlie. Mm-hmm. His brother Donald is almost the exact opposite of Charlie. Which, again, because he didn't exist, I think is really interesting. Because Charlie is successful, but he's always weird and he's nervous and he's quiet. And his brother Donald is unsuccessful, but he's always really happy. happy. The life of the party is really outgoing. And Hannah pointed out when we were watching this movie that Donald is always on the floor lying down, eating a sandwich or something. And Charlie is always standing up and kind of pacing around his room. So I, I, again, I think it's really kind of cool to see the the difference between those two. And we can go over at the end some of the themes throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously adaptation and evolution are a big theme throughout the movie. Uh, you could say that, you know, Chris Cooper's character talks about the flowers and how all these orchids have to evolve throughout the course of history in order to keep pollinating, which ties Explains in. that beginning montage yeah exactly which again yes thank you explains that opening montage so So i just want to ask mm -hmm. you a quick question please Uh, the first thing that nick cage charlie as charlie says about himself in that um voiceover in the beginning Mm -hmm. is that he's really balding Mm -hmm. so they have this wig on him oh it's a wig i was gonna ask for sure. You yeah, can it tell? Does. yeah, Yeah, it's like curly. He I know, but curly he is hair. losing his hair. <laughs> I just it, thought maybe In a they different way. It yeah, it, you're it's right. It's just, it's, you'd have to look at a picture of it. Mm-hmm. It's, um. It's short, kind of reddish and curly. Right. And it's like almost male pattern baldness. He's got a little bit on top, but not quite there. Right. Would you say that Donald had more hair than Charlie? No, I think they're pretty similar. I could see maybe if I went back and and saw a difference, I could see them doing that, but I didn't notice it. So they didn't. Okay. There were no physical differences between these two characters. Okay. And I remember watching the movie and thinking that Donald had fuller hair on his head than Charlie. And then I read in that Roger Ebert interview Mm -hmm. that Nick Cage said, no, there were no physical differences, Mm. just the way that he carried himself. And which... uh, 
I think is testament to to Nick Cage's acting. Or Spike Jones's directing. Well, apparently that's what we're learning. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. That's that's interesting. It's because he was a confident character. Yeah. And confident people can have flaws, quote unquote, like that. Right. And you probably won't notice them as much as someone who slumps down and is mm-hmm. constantly like picking at themselves for these stupid things. Mm. So the next time we see the main Nick Cage, Charlie, he's at a date. He's on a date and sort of at a party with this British girl. Do you did you recognize the actress? Because no. I recognize almost everybody else in this movie except for her. No. Eh, anyway, she it's didn't really important. make an impression on me either. <laughs> <laughs> we do see him uh, after the party. He's at home. He's trying to write and he's doing that thing that everybody's done at some point in their life, where he's like, "All right, I need to write a page and then I can go get a coffee." Well, maybe if I go get a coffee, that'll help me write. No, I need to use it as a reward. And he's kind of going back and forth. I did that thing all the time While in college. Studying. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So he then is in the car with the British girl. And and something that this movie does is it kind of jumps pretty quickly from scene to scene, whether it be a scene with Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper, and then it'll jump three years in the future, five years in the future, whatever it is with Nick Cage. And then it'll jump from Nick Cage and his brother to Nick Cage and the, and the British girl back to him writing, etc. So there's kind of a lot of jumping around. But it's he, pretty easy to tell what's happening. Though. Exactly. I, it, that, they do yeah. a really great job of that. Yeah, but between Spike Jones, we've watched and the other movies with Nick Cage that I think I've been confused. Like, wait, w- is this in the past? <laughs> is this in the future? Is this present? Right. Definitely. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. So he's in the car with the British girl in the next scene, and she invites him in, and Hannah and I are literally sitting there going, "Kiss her, you fool!" But he's just too timid, and he can't kiss her, and he makes some BS excuse about how he has to write. Right. So we see... That was my contribution. Yeah, thank you. So we see (laughs) Nick Cage go to a coffee shop because, you know, he's trying to take a break from writing. And we meet the waitress. Couldn't think of the word waitress. Whoa. (laughs) The waitress is played by Judy Greer, who's an incredible actress. Oh, I forgot about this. I know. So they hit it off right off the bat to the point that Nick Cage invites her to this orchid show. As Charlie. Yeah invites her to this orchid show that he's going to to do more research very for. brave of him yeah absolutely and so they're at the orchid show and judy greer grabs his hand and says flowers really turn me on or some shit and they walk out back and judy greer takes off her top and we're like whoa hey all right judy greer and it's a fantasy sequence and the cage is then lying in bed and his brother bursts in and he's like i've got a great idea for a screenplay it's going to be about a cop and a burglar who are the same person but split personality so i'll pause real quick there so Mm -hmm. i think you can allude to what he's doing while he's in bed i'm not going to you know explicitly say it oh i'll say he's pleasuring he's yanking it (laughs) (laughs) um so when i mentioned earlier that the real susan orlean the character that meryl street plays didn't approve of the way that her character was being portrayed the producer was like girlfriend literally (laughs) (laughs) Nick Cage is playing the screenwriter who jacks off in like five different scenes. Yeah, he does do that like <laughs> at least three times. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So then he actually goes to the cafe with Judy Greer and she's again really friendly and really nice. And like, hey, good to see you. Yeah, she wants a good tip. Like, right. She's just like any yeah. good waitress. Right. And, then, and he's like, hey, Server, do, you, sorry. do you want to come to this orchid show? And she's like, no, thank you. So let's see, he's at the Orchid Show and he's just creeping on chicks, comparing them to flowers, and he's talking about how sexy everything is. 
He's at the set with being John, for being John Malkovich, and his brother shows up and finds Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's playing like a like makeup a, artist. Makeup artist. That's what it was. And so finally, his brother is is dating Maggie Gyllenhaal, and he's still struggling to write. Then the three of them go to a party, and this is a great scene because at the party, the British girl shows up. It's been a few weeks now, and the British girl's dating somebody else. But what I love about this scene is that Donald Nicholas Cage is like, all right, we're I forget what prompts this, actually, but he does say, it's not a scream, he does go, a little push, push in the bush, and he puts his <laughs> arms up and swings his hips around. I was wondering if he were going to only explain this Charlie. movie from Charlie's perspective. Well, well the movie is it, from Charlie's it perspective, is, but, but yeah. it would do the podcast and injustice if we didn't explain everything that donald does as well, well. especially the funny things that donald oh, does yeah. <laughs> he's the only one who does funny things right. charlie's not a funny guy <laughs> so somewhere along the lines at this party charlie gets the idea that maybe this movie's not about the writer maybe this movie's not about the joe exotic of horticulture maybe this movie's about me you know, and maybe this movie's about evolution and adaptation. Oh my God, so meta. So he goes home and he talks into his tape recorder and he's like, we, sh- we start the movie on the beginning of time, the big bang and then the lava and the plants and everything that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I fucking hate this. And he's struggling <laughs> to write. And he has another fantasy about uh, going to the restaurant and meeting Tilda Swinton again. And he has sex with Tilda Swinton in his fantasy. <laughs> and I think his brother bursts in again yes yeah i don't know anyway we see a a, a, gr- a great shot of his horrible body although apparently it's a, it's fat, a fat suit, suit. just disappointing so he goes to his agent's office who's ron livingston from office space i think that's his name ron livingston living livingston the guy from office space you know him yeah i don't remember his agent though yeah <laughs> i don't remember the scene no okay it's not important so yeah, you're right. The The agent really isn't super important, at least certainly not yet. So he goes home and he's depressed and he can't sleep and his brother bursts in and goes, I just had this amazing class from, what the fuck was his name? Bob something, you know, Bob McKee or, or whatever, some, some no-name writer. He's like, oh, Bob says, and Bob says that you should do this when you're writing and Bob says that you should do that when you're writing and Bob says that you should have a theme when you're writing and Don is just being this annoying prick to Charlie who is this legitimate successful writer and it's like it's like kids coming back after their freshman year of college and being like this is what i learned in my psych 101 class my sociology (laughs) class said that time is a construct and you're like great kid who cares (laughs) so it does kind of culminate in a great line from charlie nick cage where he just goes oh okay good night (laughs) which we loved and i wrote down now He's still struggling to write and he's got the book out on his bed and he looks at the back cover and he sees the picture of Meryl Streep and now he's fantasizing about Meryl Streep and yanking it to Meryl Streep. (laughs) Oh, what a lonely, lonely man. Mm -hmm. He says something along the lines of like, I don't want to disappoint you. So let's see, (laughs) then it's the next morning and Maggie Gyllenhaal and Don are, are finished with the book and apparently it's terrible. And so he runs to the restaurant to get some food, runs into Tilda Swinton who says, hey, Meryl Streep's coming. Do you want to meet her? She wants to meet you. And Nick Cage just having, you know, rubbed one out <laughs> to, uh, yeah, to, to, to Meryl Streep. Right. I, he doesn't want to stick around. He gets nervous. He even leaves the food behind and he's in the car and there's another voiceover. So then he gets home and 
he realizes that in order to really get into the mind of the author character and the, the author, he has to get he has to go to New York. So mm-hmm. he he purchases a ticket to New York and to he, meet her. He even gets to New York to meet her, and he gets in the elevator, and he he chickens out. Chickens out. Thank <laughs> you. Fuck me, had. I need your help sometimes. We're both, uh, we didn't mention this. We both had a really, the reason that we didn't post this podcast yesterday, a little behind the scenes into our lives, is because we were puppy sitting an eight week old, adorable golden retriever all weekend. But my, my, was she a handful? Oh my God. And just up all hours of the night and choking on rocks and sticks nearly every five seconds. It's what's in your mouth? What's in your mouth? It's (laughs) annoying. Reaching into her mouth and taking mulch out. <laughs> so, anyway, we're a little beat and struggling for words, but it's okay. We're here for your entertainment. <laughs> so he chickens out, and so the what he realizes what he has to do is call his brother Don because his agent calls him and says, "I read your brother's book. It's incredible. This thriller the where, three. The, where the cop and the burglar are the same person and the woman and the cannibal. <laughs> They're all the same person. The the cops a cannibal who eats people, and it's just this really hokey." plot for a movie so nick cage so behind the scenes yeah it's something that charlie kaufman tr- like tried in real life i bet to write that yeah because at the end of the movie too there's a even after the uh, credits there's a quote from, from the, the three, three. <laughs> mm-hmm. so nick cage decides that while his brother's on his way to new york he's like okay I have to take this guy's class. And he takes Bob, Bobby McKees or whatever it is. It's played by Brian Cox, another name where I was like, holy shit, that guy. And this movie had, I think five Academy Award winners and then like seven nominees. Wow. And a lot of nominees out of this movie. Yep. Rightfully so. Mm -hmm. So Brian Cox's character, who's leading this giant class on screenwriting he says a bunch of things like, never use a voiceover in your movie. And Nick Cage is like, whoops. And then he goes, Nick Cage has a question. He's like, well, what if I want to write a story about real life, like where sometimes just nothing happens? And Brian Cox, oh, he, he goes, goes off, off on him. He's like, what do you mean nothing happens? Yeah. Things happen every day. People get shot. You know, breast, best friends get breasts. reunited. Breasts. Breasts. <laughs> breasts get implanted. You see Judy Greer's boobs on TV. <laughs> so nick cage is just like okay thanks and that that timid self that he always is and he meets him outside and says i want to you know grab a drink with you and, and go over my script so they go over the script and brian cox says something along the lines of like yeah i get where you're coming from but what you need is an amazing ending and boy howdy is there an amazing ending i just never expected this. no absolutely not so the exact quote that brian cox says is Wow them in the end, but don't cheat. And he says, no deus ex machina, no God out of mm-hmm. the machine. Yeah. So his brother shows up to New York. And what they plan to do is his brother says, I'm going to pretend to be you and go meet he's the writer. Twin. Because they're <laughs> twins. They're identical twins. He goes and meets the writer and asks her a bunch of questions and comes back and goes, she's lying. She's full of shit. Like there's something bigger going on here. So he goes online, does a search and finds that the Joe Exotic of horticulture <laughs> has a porn site and on the main porn site, is Meryl Streep. Is a topless Meryl Streep. I mean, it's obviously Photoshopped, yeah. but holy shit, you got topless Judy Greer and Meryl Streep? <laughs> what a movie. <laughs> so then they decide they need to get more information. So they grab some binoculars and go to the building across the street from the New Yorker. And they're spying on her and they see she's buying plane tickets to Florida. So she's going down and meeting up with Chris Cooper again. So they 
fly down to Florida, and they're tailing Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper even right out of the right out of the uh, airport. Mm-hmm. They get to Chris Cooper's house, and finally, staking it out. Charlie has the audacity. Charlie has the bravery, and he says, "I'm going to go over and, and get a closer look and see what's happening." And he goes over, and this one orchid, this elusive orchid that the, that Meryl Streep couldn't find the whole movie, and they finally find it at the end. There's Apparently, like 50 in well, his... They've been growing it because they can mash it up and make like hallucinogenic drugs out of it. So... <laughs> <laughs> yes. You have something to say to this. Meryl Streep's character becomes a bit of a drug addict. And we... Yes. It, there was a scene prior where... Like, because we're, we're speaking in this movie through Charlie's eyes, we didn't talk about like the scenes that obviously he's not privy to. Yeah. But... There was a flashback to the first time that Meryl Streep's character tried the drug. Oh, yeah. So this isn't the first time. Right. So, like, she goes down, she meets up with Chris, with the Joe Exotic, and um, they start doing these drugs. Yeah. So that was the other reason. Like, one of the other reasons that Susan Orlean was like, fuck, no, I don't want to be portrayed in this movie as this drug sex addict. Like, right. Yeah, because not only is she a drug addict, but she's still with her husband. So she's yes. cheating on her husband right. with this guy with no teeth who lives in Florida. And in real life, that didn't happen. Of course not. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have a love affair. Right, right. For sure. So... I did actually forget to mention that when Don bursts into the hotel, I think the first time, or I think it was after he figured out that she was lying, he starts singing Happy Together. I can't see me loving nobody. I have a terrible voice, so I'm going to stop there. I have another fun fact about that. Okay. So Spike Jones had Weezer record Happy Together. Okay. And that was going to go into the movie, and then he thought that just having the Turtles, the original Mm. version of Happy Together, would have made more sense. So instead of an adaptation of Happy Together, oh, he had the original. Oh, interesting. And interesting, too, that the Turtles are the original, and that was one of and Joe Exotic's really obsessions. Really just got off on Turtles for a while. Yeah, got off on Turtles. Gross. That sounds <laughs> terrible in a million different ways. Who knows what he did with the Turtles. Right. So anyway, we're back at Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper. They're hooking up and doing drugs, and Nick Cage is spying on them, and he gets caught. And suddenly... Meryl Streep is like, we have, we have to, to kill, kill him. him. And Steve and I are like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Where did this characterization come from? Like, But you can kind of see it because this movie's about adaptation. It's about change and evolution. So Meryl Streep points a gun at Nick Cage. They get in the car. Little does she know that his twin his brother, twin brother Donald. is ducked down in the backseat under a blanket So she pulls him around to the swamp where they found the original orchid and she gets out of the car and Donald bursts out of the car, pushes her over and Donald and Charlie, Nick Cage and Nick Cage run into the swamp and they duck behind the log. It's very Lord of the Rings, the way they're hiding behind the log. Although that came out after this, I think. Anyway, and they have a really nice conversation where Charlie says to Don, he's like, I wish I could be as oblivious as you. And they tell a story about how when they were in high school, you went up and asked this girl out, and then when you turned away, she started laughing at you. Like, I wish I could just be as oblivious, and I would be so much happier. And Don says, I'm not oblivious. I just don't care what other people think. And he says a great line, you are what you love, not what loves you. And I was like, ugh. And then... That was a really nice scene. Yeah, and then Charlie starts just openly crying, and Nick Cage does so this good. amazing performance. So good. That, uh, that, that scene 
took a long time to film. Did it? Yeah. I think some of the tears were frustration too, mm-hmm. like in real life. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I don't want to be filming this anymore. Hmm. Like I've been sitting here for five hours as one character. And then do it talking again. Talking to a tennis character. ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say that the CGI of putting the two of them in the scene, it was pretty flawless. I never noticed any moments where it was like. Parent Trap came out in 98. That's true. And it was pretty flawless in Parent Trap. It, that movie is flawless. That movie has no flaws. Okay. Please. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Soundtrack's incredible. Lindsay Lohan's British accent. It's, flawless. I just watched a video today on YouTube of this not that guy that you like eric oh, whatever yeah. but another woman mm-hmm. um f- through variety like reviewing people's british accents in movies and Lindsay's was one of them and she was like you know she did a pretty good job for like a 11 year old girl for an 11 year old gotcha <laughs> <laughs> better than nick cage's semi-british accent in the uh christmas carol how about his uh philly accent in vampire's kiss <laughs> sounded british <laughs> <laughs> exactly so they spend the night in the swamp. Sad boy Nikki spends the night in the swamp as two as two twins. Two sad boy Nikki's. Uh-huh. <laughs> they a wake up. Sad boy they wake up. They go back to the car, and Chris Cooper's on the other side of the car, and he shoots Don in the arm. They get in the car and they peel away, and they're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe we got away!" And a car comes out of nowhere, and they just have a head-on T-bone. collusion, T bone at least. And Donald was not buckled in, flies out through the windshield. It's really graphic, mm. and dies. Charlie starts singing in, happy happy together to him. It's really sad yeah, again. In loving memory. Yeah. And I think the, the driver of the other car died. And Meryl Streep catches up. And Chris Cooper, they catch up and chase Charlie through the swamp. And they're all through the swamp trying to find each other. And a fucking alligator comes up and eats Chris, Chris Cooper. Cooper it's crazy. Like, what yeah. an insane 10 minutes of this movie. I know. And Brian Cox, his character, hit the nail on the head. Like, it's so meta, like you said earlier, because it's like, you have to wow them with the ending. And yeah. we were pretty wild with the ending. We it was really, really interesting and fun. Because then we get, finally, probably the only Nicolas Cage scream in this movie. Because Meryl Streep's upset that Joe Exotic is dead. Chris Cooper is dead from the Gator. And Nick Cage screams. Fuck! you lady you're just a lonely old desperate pathetic drug addict and it's not a huge payoff because based on some of the other screams we've heard in other movies but for his character it is yes exactly so the cops finally show up he adapted he adapted the cops finally show up he has to call his mom and tell that hey your other son son that doesn't exist died (laughs) (laughs) he we see him briefly at home. He finishes the script. He's at the cafe, but this time with the British girl, and he finally kisses her, you fool. They've <laughs> been together for nine months, too. It's not like that was their first date when he like didn't kiss her. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's what they said. They, oh. they were in a relationship for nine months. Wow. Huh. Weird. I didn't know that. Mm. Hmm. I didn't read that. I just remember hearing that in the oh, movie. Yeah. Hmm. Well, anyway, they exchange I love yous, and she's like, I love you too, but you're still, you're too late. I'm with That's why else. they were able to exchange I love yous, because mm-hmm. they had been on more than one date. Gotcha. That makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> so then there's a voiceover of him finishing the script, and he's like, ah, shoot, I shouldn't be doing voiceovers. That's okay. And it's, this, and it's the script of the movie that we're watching. And he pulls out of some garage after he sells the script, and it's a time lapse of flowers growing, adapting to the sunlight, if you will, and happy together plays. And the credits roll. 
I think it's an excellent movie. It was so good. It was the perfect amount of symbolism, I think. I think when you have a David Lynch movie, there's too much, too much symbolism. There's like, what Wizard is that of supposed Oz? to mean? Why? <laughs> why? Why did you put the Wizard of Oz in here? Why do you have a skinned deer on stilts? I don't understand. But then there's also movies like Deadfall, which we mentioned earlier, which has zero no symbolism. symbolism. <laughs> and I just think that this movie was the perfect balance of symbolism. I agree. And you see the clear direction and the clear progression of all of the all of these characters are really well thought out mm-hmm. they're all really well acted it's time, really well cast time makes sense it does even though it's non-linear it all makes sense um what else was even though say? even yeah. though da- uh, donald and charlie look identical you can always tell the difference between the two characters exactly exactly so i did have a note that it felt a little long but it didn't drag it it wasn't like hard to watch, but it did feel like a little bit long. That's probably my only complaint. It's not surprising yeah. that a movie like that would be on the longer side. I feel like a lot of Academy Award nominations are longer movies. That is true. I, I, I get that feeling as well. I don't know if that's actually the case. I'd have to see some statistics, but yeah, whatever. Anyway. It's a movie other- about Hollywood, essentially, which you don't like. I do hate that. I do hate movies that are about Hollywood and then they give themselves awards. I just hate it. Luckily, there was just enough Florida ratchetness there to was. save it from that. That is absolutely true. All right, any <laughs> other closing thoughts before we move on to some Nick Cage awards? No, I right after we watched this movie, you mentioned to me that this might be your favorite one that we've seen so far. Yeah, I think it is actually. Um, for all the reasons I just listed, I think that... Raising Arizona is probably our other favorite but i would agree i mean but i i just i love meryl streep so oh that's true yeah so yeah raising arizona was excellent except it had that weird dude on the biker that didn't make any sense the villain right yeah and then leaving las vegas was an excellent movie too except i think i like the acting more than i like the movie itself whereas this kind of had everything well i think the point of this movie is an evolution and adaptation and as we saw in um leaving las vegas his character didn't really evolve or that's adapt. true yeah he came in knowing that he wanted to kill himself and he, and did. he killed himself yeah yeah sad all Very, right yeah. nick cage awards let's do it best supporting actor donald kaufman <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to give it to chris cooper because he already won the award or Still, you don't want to give it to meryl street has to be donald kaufman. okay fair enough <laughs> Best dressed. He was nominated. <laughs> He's not even real. Best dressed. We didn't mention this, but Nick Cage as Charlie wears the same flannel, flannel throughout mm-hmm. the duration of the movie. Um, I'd probably give it to that. I don't know what yeah. else he wore. Even I as Donald, I can't even think of what he wore as Donald. Yeah, but that he just had a different T-shirt on underneath. Yeah. Uh, worst Nick Cage scene. There's some kind of throwaways. How about that one that I didn't even remember with uh Oh, with the agent. agent. Yeah. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. How about the best Nick Cage scene? Is it in the swamp talking to his brother? And he's crying? Or do you want to go with something yeah. more silly? Okay. I love that scene. That's a it was a great scene. Best scream. There was really only one. He does have a few other screams that are justified like he's screaming to his brother who's downstairs i didn't even mention it but like, no i think the fuck you lady you're just an old, old drug dealer yeah. or something <laughs> uh most nouveau shamanic moment is it push push in the bush but it's kind of justified so 
because I know that Spike Jones told Nick everything to do. Mm. I don't really feel as though anything that he did could be nouveau shamanic. Okay. I think the most nouveau shamanic thing about this movie is the fact that the screenwriter made up his brother, <laughs> dedicated it to him, and then yeah. he got nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's nouveau shamanic. Well, it's something. I don't know. Maybe Chris Cooper's character. Chris Cooper's character is pretty nouveau shamanic, but I feel that, like we should give it to something for Nick. No, I agree. L- looking back, though, if you just explain those characters to me, I would have told you that Nick played Chris Cooper's character. That's true. All right. We can just kind of leave that one up in the I, air. I don't. Sure. Push, push in the bush. I don't think anything <laughs> okay. else was particularly nouveau. Fair enough. All right. Well, that's it for the Nick Cage Awards. Where are we ranking this one? Towards near the top. The top. Yeah. So let's start at the top. Vampires Kiss, Deadfall. No, They're no. not going to be. It's not going to beat those. Leaving Las Vegas. No. Face Off. The mm. Family Man. That's our top five. And I think it belongs in the top five because number six is Racing with the Moon. Oh yeah. Either, either above Face Off or right below Face Off. Above or below Face Off. I mean, Face Off is so classic nick cage this yeah this is very different for him that's true but he plays two characters he does i mean he does in face off as well (laughs) (laughs) i think above face off Uh, but i feel like we should maintain something from the golden cage in this top five although i guess leaving las vegas is in the golden cage It'll still be number five. Yeah, I know. But you never know what's going to push it out. I think right below face-off. Okay. I'm all right with that. I, I think that's in the right spot. You know, we can we can always discuss it on our next March Madness bracket. That's fine. <laughs> all right, so that's where it's going to go. Next week, we are watching another, I think, pretty critically acclaimed movie, which is Matchstick Men. I don't really know anything about it. It's 82 on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's a lot better than some of his other movies. So that'll be that. And we'll see you next weekend. Yeah, it has a good cast and good directing. Okay. (laughs) We'll talk about it next week. (laughs) Okay. Now you know why the Nick Cage bird sings. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care. Now, freak out.